Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Let's hear now the reading of God's word. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears this morning to this passage of Scripture and that your Holy Spirit would illumine us and speak to us this morning. Not only that we would understand the story or understand the message, but Father, apply it to our hearts so that we will be compelled to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know what some of you are thinking, especially some of the kids who were here at VBS. You're thinking, that guy's going to get up there and talk about pigs this morning. It's kind of fun to talk about pigs because pigs are really funny animals. I mean, they've got this nose that is the funniest nose in the entire animal kingdom. And uh, they're funny when they walk. They kind of waddle on those little short legs and they roll around in mud and they make funny sounds and they've got a ridiculous little tail. They're just funny. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not going to be talking about pigs this morning. Instead, I'm going to be talking about sheep. Now, sheep really aren't very funny at all. That's why when you can't sleep, you count sheep. If they were funny, you couldn't fall asleep. You count them because they're boring. And think about it. You know, of of all the animals uh, that uh, you might know of, sheep are kind of dumb. I mean, you can take a dog and and you can can, uh, teach a dog to do all kinds of tricks. The Kessels have a dog that will fly. I've seen it. It's amazing. It ought to be on YouTube. But can you imagine, you've got, there you are with your pet sheep there, and you pick up a ball, and you, you throw the ball, and you say, Fluffy, go fetch! Ain't going to happen. You know what the sheep's going to do? He's going to say, Bah! You know, uh, they've done some research on sheep, I'm sure with uh, a big government grant, to try to find out what that, what that bad means and the various inflections of it. And after careful research and millions of dollars, they, they've come up with this. When a sheep says, bah, here's what it means. You heard it here first. Need grass. 
If they say, say it like this, bah, need more grass. If they, if they're sort of satisfied, they go, bah, means good grass. And finally, if they say, bah, that means this grass really hits the spot. So this morning we're going to be talking about sheep. And uh, there's some important things we can learn about sheep and learn from sheep. Uh, if you want an example of courage from the animal world, you might study porpoises who, when they're in a school, will attack a shark. That takes courage. If you want an example of speed or grace, you might think about horses or gazelles or cheetahs. If you want an example of loyalty and servanthood, you think about dogs. But if you want an example of an animal that is defenseless and completely dependent on humans, others, shepherds, for provision and for protection. You should think about sheep. Because domesticated sheep are completely dependent on humans. They're not very smart. They need shepherds to lead them to good pasture and to protect them from the wolves. And that's why they're used in the Bible and in this passage to illustrate the spiritual condition of so many people. They're like sheep without shepherds. And I believe that as we consider the mission of the church, what God is calling us to do, this passage is one of the most important passages of Scripture that we can study. It's a passage that's often taken out of context and misapplied, and I know because I've done it. You see, Jesus uses two metaphors in this passage to describe the mission field. First of all, sheep without a shepherd, and then the plentiful harvest. And very often, and again, I've done it myself, we rush to focus on the plentiful harvest and cast a vision for the harvest. The second metaphor. And we don't pay enough attention to the first metaphor and see its connection to the second. We don't pay enough attention to the sheep without a shepherd. We get all excited about the plentiful harvest because everyone wants their church to grow. Your pastors, members, elders denominational leaders. We can't wait to look at this passage, to claim the promise, to send someone out there into the plentiful harvest and to reap that harvest for Jesus Christ. But I've come to believe that there's something wrong, something missing with this attitude. You see, I believe we will never reap the plentiful harvest until we first develop a burden a compassion for all the sheep among us who are without a shepherd. If you want to see a great harvest for Christ, 
you've got to do two things. We've got to do three things. First of all, we've got to go where Jesus went. We've got to go where Jesus went, and we have to meet people where they are. In verse 35, we read that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He went throughout all the cities and villages. And then in verse 36, it talks about the crowds that followed him. Now, the crowds didn't come because Jesus set up a sign that said, Sunday school at 9.45 a.m., worship at 11. The crowds came to Jesus because he went out to them, to their towns, to their villages, sometimes to their homes, all throughout Galilee. And he met people, people with all kinds of needs, people in all classes and all walks of life, people who had largely been neglected by the spiritual leaders of his day. So if you look at the previous chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9 up to this point, what do we find Jesus doing? Well, he cleanses a leper. He heals the servant of a Roman centurion. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe some of you would like your mother-in-law to be healed, but that's another message. So Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and many others in Capernaum. And then we have another pig story where Jesus casts demons out of these two men who were possessed by demons. And he sends the demons into the pigs. That story doesn't end too well for the pigs. And then Jesus heals a man who's paralyzed. And then Jesus comes to Matthew. Now, Matthew wasn't physically sick, but Matthew was spiritually sick. Matthew was a tax collector. It was a very lucrative profession, but many of the people who were involved in it were dishonest. It was kind of a shady business. And he goes after, he says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew gets up from his tax collector's booth and he follows Jesus. He leaves behind his past. He leaves behind his lucrative but shady profession to follow Jesus. And he does another thing. He has a dinner party and he invites a whole lot of other tax collectors and sinners, people of questionable reputation to meet Jesus. And we read about it in Matthew chapter 9 that there were many tax collectors and sinners there. Now, we're going to get back to that in just a minute. But maybe I should just ask you the question, when's the last time you've been to a, a dinner party or any other kind of event with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus went. Jesus met them where they were. He got to know them. He cared about them. He heard their stories. He found out about their needs. You see, I believe that the, reasons the, crowd, the reason the crowds followed Jesus is he went to them. 
where they were, where they were physically, where they were spiritually. He didn't wait for them to come to him. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't see the crowds today or the fields white for harvest. We need to go to them. And then Jesus heals a woman who'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years. He restores the life of a girl who had just died. He heals two blind men. He heals another demon-possessed man that couldn't speak. If we want to see a plentiful harvest, we've got to begin by first going where Jesus went. The parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14 tells us that we have to go to the streets and the alleys the highways and the country lanes. You can send the invitation out. You can put an ad in the paper. But a lot of times the response is not going to be any better than the response in the parable. And so the master of the feast had to send people out into the streets and the alleys and the country lanes and the highways and compel them to come in in order to fill his banquet hall. Don't expect that the non-Christians of today are going to be any different or any more responsive than the people in this parable. Don't wait for people to come to you or to our church. We've got to go to them. And the good news is uh, we're already doing that in a number of ways. We had a great VBS got a tutoring ministry. There are people working in AAA women's services, Bethel. We've got mission trips to Chicago. We are looking forward to hearing the report from that team and Mexico. I like to say Mexico. There's just something wrong or misleading about saying a mission trip to Tijuana or a mission trip to Acapulco. I'll just keep hearing this game show host saying, Now, Johnny, tell them what they've won. You've won a mission trip to Acapulco. Sparkling beaches, world-famous resorts, beautiful celebrities, all of whom need the gospel. For a total value of over $5,000. But we're going to them. But sometimes we go to the people who are far away. You know, it's easier to go to people when we have to get on an airplane to get there. And there are people that are right around us, in our neighborhoods, in our offices, in our church's backyard. And we need to go to them as well. You know, most visitors come to a church because someone invited them. Everything else we do is probably to get about a fourth of the people who will ever visit. Three-fourths of them are going to come because somebody got to know them, met them, and invited them to come. And it's the same way with evangelism. Most people come to Christ not because they... Okay, now I'm really going to reveal my pet peeves. Not because they found a tract on a urinal but because someone who was a Christian got to know them and cared about them and uh, listened to them and prayed for them and eventually had the opportunity to share Christ with them. 
That's the way people come to Christ. We've got to go where people are. We've got to do, go where Jesus went. The second thing we need to do... Oh, I forgot to say one other thing. I need to put in a plug for the back-to-school block party. That's this coming Saturday. We're going. We're going. We're doing something. We've passed out flyers. God's even answered a prayer in that we've never been able to get flyers in the mailboxes of the apartments next door, but they're going to put them in there this time. You're going to keep praying, aren't you? Some of you are going to sign up on your way out today, aren't you? You're going to be here to meet them when they come. The second thing we need to do is we've got to feel what Jesus felt. We have to have a deep compassion for the lost. Verse 36 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for them. As we've said, sheep are helpless. They're dependent on their shepherds. And a sheep that has wandered away from his shepherd, wandered away from the flock, is in a very dangerous situation. They are not intended to live alone. They are intended and they have been bred to live in a flock and to be cared for by a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are in a very desperate shape. But that's where many of the people are who are around us today. That's how Jesus saw them. Not as sinners to be condemned, and they are sinners, but as sheep who are in great danger, who are helpless, who are harassed, who are cast down, who have no shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, we read about sheep without shepherds, and it uses these terms to describe them. They're weak, they're sick, they're injured, they're strayed, they're lost, and they're prey for wild animals. Zechariah 11 adds that sheep without a shepherd are doomed to slaughter. And my friends, that's the same condition of many of the people around us today who don't know Christ. They were harassed and helpless. They were distressed and they were cast down. There are people today around us who may have many sins in their life. They live un. They may live a sinful life. They have unbiblical values. Well, some of the people that Jesus knew and ministered to, many of them were the same way. And we've got to see them as sheep without shepherds. And verse 36 says he had compassion on them. The Greek word means to experience something along with another person to experience something along with another person. It can be applied to either joy or sorrow, but most often refers to sorrow, perhaps confusion or fear, sheep without a shepherd. They don't know where to turn. They're lost. They don't know what to do. They need help and they know it, but they don't know where to find it. 
Do you look at your non-Christian friends this way? You see, the spiritual distance between Jesus and the people that he ministered to was much greater than the distance between us and the people that God is calling us to minister to. He was the sinless son of God. He could have got on a soapbox and railed against their sins. But he had compassion on them. And he went to that dinner party. And he ate with them and fellowshiped with sinners. Let's get back to that just a moment. The Pharisees saw this and they couldn't understand it. Why does your teacher, why does your teacher have dinner with with all of these sinners? I mean, he's a a, a, a popular and an up-and-coming young rabbi. Why would he want to hang around all these low-life people? So they asked Jesus' disciple, why does your Jesus Jesus disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overheard them and replied, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Are we afraid of the people who are sick? Or do we feel compassion on them? And realize those are the people who need the gospel the most. Not the people who are well. Not the people who are already in a church somewhere. But the people who are sick, who are scattered, who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Do you have that kind of compassion? for people who don't know Christ, people on the mission fields far away, people who are on the mission field right here at our back door. Do you see them just as sinners? Just as people who are throwing their life away, people who are headed down the wrong road, people to be afraid of, or do you see them as people who are lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? We need to have compassion. We need to have compassion like Jesus had compassion and feel what he felt. Pastors see this all the time. When I was in Lincolnton, I was a chaplain on call at the hospital there, and one night I got a call, and they asked me to come to the maternity ward, which is a little bit unusual. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, there's either a stillborn child or a child with some very serious birth defect and a distraught mother and father and I'm going to need to minister to them. God, give me the right words to say. And I went into the maternity ward and they led me to a young woman who was, I think, about 20 years old. And even within hours of giving birth to a child, this girl was one of the most beautiful young girls I'd ever seen. She could have won a beauty contest. And it wasn't her first child. And she had tears in her eyes and fear in her face. 
And I thought maybe something was wrong with the baby. But they'd done a blood test and they found drugs in her blood. And she said, I'm afraid they're going to take my baby away. And you could look at the nurses and the knowing glances and that's what they were going to do. I want to tell you at a moment like that, somebody is really teachable. They're ready for the gospel. They're ready to do what Matthew did and leave the tax collector booth and the lucrative profession and everything they've ever known and to follow Jesus. And when you see people out there and you think, well, they're just comfortable in their sin. God will bring them to a point where they see and realize the desperate condition they're in. And if you've befriended them and built a relationship with them, if we as a church have done that, we'll be there at that moment and we'll be able to share the gospel. Jesus gives this great invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are looking for people who are sick, spiritually Sheep who have wandered off and are in a very dangerous position. People who are tired. They're tired of trying to live the way the world has taught them to live and they're finding that it doesn't work. And we need to go to them with the love and the compassion and the mercy of Christ and tell them about a Savior who loved them so much that He died on the cross for their sin. And then if we want to see a great harvest, there's one more thing we need to do. We've got to do what Jesus did. We've got to do what Jesus did, and we've got to address the needs of people with the gospel. We read in verse 35 that Jesus was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel healing disease and affliction. If you want to see the real need, you have to look outward, outside the walls of the church. I'm not saying that we neglect the needs of the household of faith. That's important. But we neither can, neither can we neglect the sheep without a shepherd that are all around us. You see... What we usually do is we look inward. We look at our attendance records and our giving records, and we say, attendance is kind of leveling off. Oh, attendance is starting to slip. It's going down. We've got to do something to help our church grow. I know. We'll do a study on evangelism. We'll train people to go out two by two, and then we'll do visitation. And we'll reach out into the community. The fields are wide unto harvest. We'll pray and we'll claim that promise and God will send people in. You know what's wrong with that? We've misidentified the need. 
You see, whether we realize it or not, this view holds that our church needs to grow. We need our church to grow. We're happiest when our church is growing. So we must do more outreach so that our church will grow. Let me tell you something. When Jesus traveled through the towns and the villages of Galilee, the last thing on his mind was there are synagogues here that need to grow. What he saw were crowds of people. And he was moved with compassion for people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed a relationship with God. So many churches will make the appeal, come grow with us. To me, this says to the community, we're, we're smaller than we, we'd like to be. We, we need to grow. And if you come and join us, we probably will grow. You can help us. That's the wrong message. We focused on the need of our church rather than the need of people in our community. And when we do this, we're likely to miss the harvest because we'll be looking for good, mature Christians to be members of our church or at least seekers who are already pretty familiar with the Bible and living a pretty good life. They just need Jesus and then we can teach them, make them Sunday school teachers. If we make that the focus of our ministry, we're basically reshuffling sheep and not rescuing sheep and bringing them to safety. What do we see when we look outward? We see people who are harassed and helpless. People who have no moral or spiritual compass in their lives. People who are hurting in so many ways because of broken relationships. Hurting families. Problems with children. Problems with finances. All kinds of emotional problems and addictions. There's so much pain out there. And we need to address that with the compassion of Christ, the truth of God's word, and the grace of the gospel. Many of these people will not look like promising church members, at least at first. But my friends, if you want a plentiful harvest, that's where it is. That's where it is. So we should try to minister to the needs of these people. Some would call these felt needs or surface needs, whatever you label it. I believe it's what Jesus saw when he saw crowds of people that were harassed and helpless. And then in verse 37 and verse 38, we read that Jesus said to his disciples, looking at that crowd of people, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I've misread that verse as well. You know, I think sometimes we read that verse and we think what we need to do is we need to have a prayer meeting and we need to pray that God will sort of send these mysterious people out of the cornfields to go out into the harvest and, and, and reap, reap it for Christ. You know how I think this probably came down? Jesus is there with his disciples. He's got his 12 disciples. He's been going around. He's been teaching, doing it all himself, healing, doing it all himself. 
And here are all these crowds, and it's obvious that Jesus can't do it all himself. And so he's got his disciples there, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We got to do something. We got to pray. We got to pray. Will, will, will one of you pray? Will several of you pray that God will raise up workers to go into the harvest? And then maybe one of them, Peter, probably, said, Well, Lord, I'll pray, but I've got an idea now. It may be kind of crazy, but hear me out. What, what if what if we, you know, the 12 of us, you know, what, what, what if we went out into the harvest field? What, what do you think about that? Could we do that? And then in my mind, I imagine that Jesus looks over at Peter with a sort of surprised look in his face. And he says, you know, Peter, I think you got something there. That's a good idea. We could do that. That's a great idea. I'm going to send you guys out. Which is exactly what he does in the next chapter. So see, when you're praying, Lord, send out workers in the harvest. You know what? You're really praying and what you should be praying is, God, change my heart so much and fill me with a concern and love and compassion for the lost that you'll send me out. That I'll get trained, that I'll get discipled, that I'll have a burden, that I'll have a passion, and I'll go in my area of giftedness and work in the harvest. The harvest is indeed plentiful. But we will only reap it if we go where Jesus went, if we feel what Jesus felt. And if we do what Jesus did, we must make the effort to get to know people who don't know Christ, even if they're different from us. And we must have a genuine love and compassion for them and then give them the gospel that can change their lives. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us a new vision. A vision for the people who are around us, to see them with Jesus' eyes, to have compassion for them with Jesus' heart, to see them as sheep without shepherds. And then, Father, we pray that you would send us and you would send others and send people that we will disciple and train out into this vast mission field all around us, this field of hurt and pain and sin. And share the love and the grace and the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.